Well, good morning. Isn't it, um, isn't it great to get good news? You apply for a job that you're really excited about. You get an email, you open it, and it says, congratulations, we are excited to offer you. You go to the doctor's office, uh, you and your spouse, and you, you walk in and you're anxious, you're excited, you've been praying about this, and he says, congratulations, you're going to be parents. You're, you're worried about your daughter, she's taking her first solo road trip, hundreds of miles by herself. You wait anxiously, you get a text at the end of the day, she says, I made it. Isn't it great to get good news? You, you check the score of the, the game, you weren't able to watch your team won. You check the stock market. Your portfolio is growing. Good news. You're going on vacation. You check the weather for the location. It's going to be perfect. Who doesn't like to receive here good news? But sometimes people don't recognize good news as, as good. Sometimes two different people can listen to the same good news and they respond differently to it. Like our passage uh, in Acts chapters 13 and 14. Let's take a look. I encourage you to pull out your Bible or your phone app and follow along with me. There are too many verses to read all of them. So I'm going to be dipping in and out of this, these passages, these chapters this morning. So just a quick review. We've been working our way through the book of Acts, the first half of the book of Acts uh, this summer. And we've seen the church birthed, birthed and beginning to grow and expand. Christ followers are spreading throughout the whole Roman Empire. And despite persecution, their message is the message. The good news is taking root and the churches are being planted and people are coming to faith and miraculous signs and wonders and, and miracles are happening. And, and one of the most notable conversions that happens in the first part of the book of Acts is the conversion of Saul. We saw this earlier in the summer. Saul was known as a per, as a uh, vicious persecutor of of Christians uh, and he's converted and he becomes who we now know as the Apostle Paul, the most prominent evangelist and church planter and missionary of the early church. We last saw him, we last saw Saul slash Paul in chapter 11, where he joins up with a man named Barnabas and they begin a missionary journey together. So let's pick it up at the last verse of chapter 12, where it says, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their journey, they returned from Jerusalem taking with them John, also called Mark. So what they're doing here is they're checking in with the church, church leaders in Jerusalem to, to give a report, to thank them for their financial support and prayer, uh, just like sort of when we have a missionary that we support there in town, and we often try to have them share something during our morning worship service or maybe a Sunday morning class or a combination of both. Uh, they get a chance to kind of share what God is doing and how we can be praying for them and, and express their gratitude. Uh, and, and that's a wonderful thing. I always enjoy that. They're, they're, they're an extension of who we are, and we partner with them through our support and prayers. So that's what's going on here. So after Saul and Barnabas finish giving their report, their update, the church leaders get together, they lay hands on them, they pray for them, and they send them out on another missionary journey. And then we, we trace those journeys. We're told about these journeys in chapters 13 and 14. So, 14. so we're just going to follow along and, and, and listen to them as, as, as they do so. Let's pick it up in verse 4. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. So after this, they meet a guy named Sergius Paulus. And he's a, 
what's called a proconsul. He's uh, basically a governor of the region, a very powerful man. He's described as an intelligent man, educated man. And he's heard about uh, Paul and Barnabas and they're speaking to her. He's heard they're in town, so he invites them because he wants to hear it for himself. And as he's listening to them share the good news about Jesus, about Jesus' life and death and resurrection and, and the offer of salvation through faith in him, there's another guy there who hears the same good news, but he doesn't hear it as good news. And this guy has two names in chapter 13, Bar-Jesus and Elimus. And, and the second one, Elimus, is a sort of nickname that describes uh, what he does, what he's known for. Elimus means sorcerer, and Elimus was an assistant to the governor. Now, so he wasn't like a court jester or an entertainer or a clever magician to kind of entertain a dinner once in a while, uh, this powerful man, this governor. No, he would have been, in the ancient world, a sorcerer would have been somebody who would have been involved, actively involved in, in witchcraft and spells and curses, someone who was trying to connect with evil forces and evil spirits for their their own growth and power and advancement. And, and so we can see why Elimus would not have received or seen the good news that Paul was preaching and sharing as good, because evil opposes good. Darkness opposes light. In, in fact, we read that he tries to get his boss, the governor, to reject the good news of Jesus. And then the Lord, through, through, through Paul, blinds Elimus on the spot. And Sergius Paulus, uh, understandably, the governor, he believes in Jesus. The next stop on Barnabas and Saul's most excellent adventure is Perga. And they go to a place called Pisidian Antioch after that. And, and as they usually do, they would, they would go into a town and they would go to the local synagogue. And they go there on the Sabbath and they worship. They're sitting there in worship during the service. And there must have been some sort of break in the service, uh, maybe uh, where there was prayer requests or announcements or whatever. And, and they... And then local synagogue leaders noticed them and asked them if they have anything that they would like to share. Anything, any, you have any words for us? Well, you don't have to ask Paul twice to talk about the good news. Verse 16. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, People of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. So Paul, he starts his message with their shared history, their shared, their shared stories, their heritage. They were chosen by God, he says. God prospered us in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the midst of slavery. God delivered them. God was patient with them. God gave them victory. God blessed them in the new land. And then he hits briefly on a few rulers highlighted by King David. And then he launches into the the heart of his message, the core of the good news. Verse 23. From this man's descendants, talking about King David, from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised Then he points out next that Jesus' trial and death fulfilled the prophecies of old from hundreds of years before. And then verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And then verse 32. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. 
Isn't that amazing? And then he quotes some psalms recorded hundreds of years before that point to Jesus' burial and resurrection. Then verse 38. We're driving this home now. His, his message, he's driving it home. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin. A justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Now, you think this would be received as, as good news. They can be set free from sin. They can be justified, made right before God. No longer having to worry about their standing with him. They would be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. This is something they could not have obtained in the past. But now, under the new covenant, this relationship with Jesus, they can. And that's good news. I mean, who wouldn't want to hear that as good news? The news that we can be forgiven of our sins, that we can be set free from them, that we can be justified through faith in Jesus. And there are many Jews and non-Jews, we're told, who are glad to hear this and trust in Jesus, just like Sergius Paulus from earlier. But just like from earlier, there are some who reject the good news. Verse 50. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Now, why would they do this? That's a, a pretty extreme reaction. Verse 44 tells us, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews, referring to the Jewish leaders, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. The best news ever proclaimed. The good news is proclaimed, but they don't hear it as good news because of their, their own self-interest. They're jealous. They feel threatened. They feed off the approval and applause of the people, the popularity of the people. They're, they're, they're threatened to lose, that they're going to lose their power. In short, they see the good news as a threat to their way of life and they do not want to make any changes in their way of life. So they spurn the message. They reject it out of hand. And we see, we're going to see a little bit later in chapter 14, that they are so filled with hate that it fuels them to eventually pursue Paul and Barnabas. But we'll come to that later. Next on Paul and Barnabas's uh, journey is a stop at a place called Iconium. And again, we see there's good news proclaimed, and there are some who see it as good news and some who hear it as, as bad news. Verse 4 of chapter 14. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. And, and then Paul and Barnabas, they find out of a plot to stone them. And so they, they quickly move and wisely move on. They move to a place called Lystra and then, then move on to Derby to preach. And in Lystra, we read that Paul heals a man who's been lame since birth. He hasn't been able to walk since birth. He heals him and the crowds misinterpret this. And they think that Paul and Barnabas are gods and they begin to call the priests and begin to gather uh, things for sacrifices and, and have a service and worship them. And in and, and, and verse 14, we read, But when Paul and Barnabas heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. 
And then we see these hateful leaders from Antioch again, verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. And the crowd quickly turns on Paul. They drag him out city. They stone him and they leave him for dead. But, but Paul recovers. And he and Barnabas move on to Derby, where many people come to believe they have a few more stops. They return and give another report to the church. Now, in these chapters, why are there such angry, violent responses to the good news that Paul and Barnabas are sharing? Because often with great opportunity comes great opposition. When the Holy Spirit is doing something in the life of a church or an individual, or of a, a group of people, opposition, resistance, even persecution may come sooner or later. It, it's been that way since the foundation of, of, of the world. Satan opposes God in heaven. Satan opposes God in the garden. He opposes Jesus while he walked the earth. And so is it here in our passage from Acts. When we seek to expand God's kingdom on earth, when we share the good news of Jesus Christ. Satan will always try to stop it. That is true. But what is also true is that Jesus said that he would establish his followers, his church, his kingdom, and that nothing would be able to stop the the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, And Paul had seen that. He'd experienced it. He believed it so powerfully. He wrote this in Romans 1, 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it has the power to save. Good news. Incredible news that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for our sin and to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Pay the debt that we owe to make us right and righteous in God's sight, to defeat death so we might live eternally, to bless us with joy and peace that passes all understanding. That is incredible news. That is good news. And and sometimes... Sometimes, sadly, people, we don't respond to it as good news. Sometimes because maybe we we misunderstand it. Sometimes because it sounds maybe too good to be true or we think it lets people off the hook too easily. Sometimes because of pride. I, you know, I'm not that bad of a person. I don't need saving. I'm not a, quote, sinner. Sometimes because we know the implications. It means we would need to make changes in our lives that we do not want to make that we would have to give up things that we treasure too much. Sometimes we, because we, we simply put it off. Yeah, I, I think it's true. I believe it's true. But, but, but not now. Later. You know, someday. But the thing is, with good news, is that it calls for a response. Jesus is, is very clear about that. Paul and Peter and John, who wrote much of the New Testament, they are very clear about that. The good news calls for a response. I'm going to invite Spencer Einhouse to come out. He's a a young young man from our church who who heard the good news of Jesus and responded with his whole heart. And uh, I'm always encouraged when I hear people share their stories of faith and and how they come to decide to follow Jesus. And so he's going to come and, and share about that decision now. Yeah, hi everybody. I'm Spencer Einhouse, if you haven't known me. Um, I've grown up in Solana for most of my life, except for these last four years where I just spent studying at the University of Kansas. Um, but I'm really excited and privileged just to share with you all a little bit about how I was impacted with the gospel. 
Um, so I want to start back in middle school, which even for me now seems like eons ago. But as far back as I can remember, I've always believed in God. I've always called myself a Christian. Even in high school, I remember kind of debating with friends at school who said they didn't believe in God and trying to, trying to convince them how they were wrong and trying to convince them otherwise. And as you all probably know, most middle school boys and high school boys have their fair share of mischief. But I always consider myself, you know, a moral guy. Um, and so going into college, going to KU, uh, I decided that I wanted to prioritize my faith and prioritize, you know, going to church and stuff like that. Um, unfortunately, that lasted two weeks while I was at KU. And I pretty quickly just got sucked up by what the world had to offer. Um, during the week, I was consumed by studying, um, homework, just trying to achieve perfect grades as a chemistry major and aspiring physician. On the weekends, I prioritized the, the social scene, going out and having a good time. And I thought uh, that was crushing it. You know, my grades looked good. I was having a good time on the weekends. Uh, I really thought that's what it was all about. I thought I was living the life I was supposed to. But really, on the inside, uh, I was riddled with anxiety about graduate school. Was I good enough to go? Was I smart enough to go? What if I don't get in? And it's almost like I had all my eggs in one basket. You know, whatever else happened um, in my life, you know, as long as I got into medical school and was a doctor someday, nothing else mattered. I was good. And I realized that even on the weekends, going out and enjoying the social scene is really just an escape from the pressure that I was constantly putting myself under. And I remember just starting to think, like, is this really all life had to offer? You know, just this career someday or going out and having fun, was this really all life and college had to offer me. Um, and it just really started to feel like there was something missing in my life, and I didn't quite know what it was. Um, and by God's grace, my junior year of college, he actually brought a man into my life. Um, and this guy really was just quickly becoming one of the closest friends that I had. He listened like no one had just wanted to listen to me before. Um, he asked me intentional questions about what's going on in my life and how I was doing. Um, he talked differently than I did. He talked about different things than I did. And quickly, as we became closer and closer, I noticed that we both call ourselves Christians, but one of us clearly wasn't actually one. And so uh, this friend just continued to just love me. Uh, we started reading the Bible together and praying together, um, and he even shared the gospel with me, which is the first time in my whole life, although I maybe prayed that prayer to Jesus or called myself a Christian, he shared the gospel, and I realized that I actually was separated from God. And there was a response to that. That day, I didn't put my faith in Christ. But fast forward just a few months later, on January 4th of 2022, when God, in his grace, finally opened my eyes to what the gospel really means. That if all my life, you know, I always said I believe in Jesus. But God helped me to realize that day that if I truly believe that God in the flesh came to live a perfect life that I can never live, he died an excruciating death on the cross that I deserve to die, and he rose from the grave, that whoever believes in him can live forever, how could I give him anything less of my life? And on that day is when I finally made that decision to go all in. And when I look back, you know, at my life now and before making that decision, I kind of looked at it like, you know, a pie chart and how I would divvy up what's important in my life. And growing up, I'd say for most of my life, you know, family, friends, school, and even faith, those were always things that were part of my pie chart. And I realize now it wasn't about just having faith or God be just a sliver of the pie chart, 
But I realize now that he wanted all of it from me, that he wanted a relationship with me, and he wanted to be involved in every aspect of my life. Because only through God and through a relationship with him through Christ can we actually experience life and life to the full. Um, and I just think about John 17:3, that says, that when Jesus says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know the, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. And I realize that eternal life doesn't start the day that we die, but it starts the day that you go all in with Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful that in God's grace, he led me to that. And I can just look and see that God has a purpose for me, not only to know God, but to make God known, whether that's here in Salina and to the ends of the earth. So thank you guys for letting me share. Um, and I'll welcome back up Doug. Thanks. Thank you, Spencer. You know, there's a, a, a well-known painting of Jesus standing outside the, the door to a house with his hand raised, getting ready to knock on the door. Uh, and it's based, of course, on uh, Revelation 3.20, which says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and, 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 and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with them and they with me. It's a, it's a beautiful picture, a picture of, of God's invitation, Christ's invitation to, to do life with him, to share life with him. He comes in, he, we're in fellowship together, we're a part of his family. He offers us his very life, uh, both now and, and forever. That's an amazing thing, the, the invitation of Jesus Christ, the good news that he wants life with us, life for us, life through us. And so do you hear his voice this morning? And have you opened the door to your heart? Perhaps, perhaps like Spencer, you, you've believed, but it's just a small part of your life and it really hasn't moved from here to there until you realize that God loves you so much that he is calling you to give your life to him, to put him on the throne of your, your heart and to walk with him and, and to share the joy of, of, of abundant life in Jesus Christ. And, 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 and so this morning, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to respond to the good news of his life, death, and resurrection, to his offer of salvation and, and fellowship with you. And so I'm going to lead us in a, a prayer, and, and I, I encourage you, um, if you are making a commitment the, to trust him, uh, if, you, uh, or if you believe that he died and rose again, if you desire to give your life over to him, and seek to obey him and serve him, I'm going to ask you to, to contact us, to email us or, or, or um, give us a call and, and, and let us know or share it with somebody that you know uh, who believes in Jesus Christ because you're going to need that encouragement. You're going to need that support uh, as, you, as you move to, to live out that decision. So I'm going to go ahead and just take a moment and, and, and lead us in prayer and then we'll close the service uh, because this is an amazing opportunity. It's an amazing opportunity and I hope you'll take it. Jesus stands ready uh, Jesus is able, and Jesus, he loves you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you that he is your son, uh, true, truly God and, and truly man. And we, we thank you that uh, he lived a perfect life. It's uh, uh, something that we could never do. Lord, that he uh, was the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world, something that we could never do. Uh, we, we thank you that he defeated death and rose from the dead once and for all, something that we could never do. We thank you that he's done these things for us. And so, Lord, um, we come before you and, Lord, we, we say that we are in need of forgiveness. Lord, we, we say that uh, we um, want to put you first in our life. We say that we believe in you and that we trust you. 
And, and Lord, we say that uh, we give ourselves over to you. So, Father, I just pray that uh, for anyone who uh, has prayed in agreement with this prayer, Lord, that they would sense your Holy Spirit, um, uh, that they would sense your love and your truth and your presence, uh, and Lord, that their, their lives would be changed as a respond to this incredibly good news. Uh, we offer ourselves to you now, Jesus, in your name. Amen.